<laughs> Excuse me. Hi, everybody. <laughs> you can't make me laugh and then do your intro. I'm sorry. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Millwood and Micah Discovering Avatar. My name is Amanda Millwood, and I'm a screenwriter, actor, director, and a fan of Avatar The Last Airbender. Flamio, hot men. My name is Todd Micah. I am the author of Tales from Grimguard, an anthology of dark fantasy, as well as the Grimguard role-playing game. And I had never watched Avatar until now. If you've been following along with us, you know that we've been watching Avatar uh, two episodes at a time. We review the episodes every podcast and get up to other shenanigans too along the way. But today, we have arrived at episode five, The Beach. And I was just mentioning this to you before we started recording, but we're up to episodes five and six. It doesn't feel like this is, we, I feel like we should be more than halfway through the season right now. So much has happened. <laughs> I know. And like I was saying, it like so much has happened, but also since I know what's, what's up, up ahead, I feel like not a lot has happened. Like <laughs> a lot of these episodes have felt very filler character-based episodes not that that's bad, but just, you know, whereas in future episodes, you know, once we get to the halfway point of this season, it's like all plot, all action. Like it's, it's awesome. And it's so, there's so much yet that we still haven't gotten to. And I'm just like, man, I can't believe that we're only at episode five and six at this point. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and like you had mentioned, you know, there's so much stuff later on in the season that are essentially two four parters of one story it kind of makes sense that they have to use the rest of the season to do some very dense storytelling and these episodes definitely do that so episode five the beach it is written by katie matilla now have we seen katie's writing before which episode did she write only it wasn't an episode she wrote the tale of zuko from the Tales of Bossing Say episode. I knew it. I knew yep. that she was from there. <laughs> yep, because remember I was saying how cute her name was and it reminded me of Matilda. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I knew this. Well, that's why I remembered. Yeah, that is the only other thing she's written um, for the show. And that is exactly why she was chosen to write this episode because she really nails like Zuko's angsty teen like romance problems. <laughs> Oh yeah, no, she definitely is a big Zuko fangirl for sure, must be, because she she did that great story for, for Zuko there, um, and now follows up in the beach, which, I mean, th- there has never been an episode since, gosh, maybe since Zuko alone, that like focused mm-hmm. in so heavily on Zuko. And it doesn't just show, it tells, so yeah, yeah really, really well done, well done, Katie. Uh, the episode is directed by Joaquin Dos Santos, who is one of our new directors for season three. Mm-hmm. It is animated beautifully by Moy Animation, and the episode aired October 19th, 2007. The IMDb rating of The Beach is 8.5 out of 10, which feels say... low to me. It feels low yeah. to me. <laughs> no, it's so funny because, like, I honest to God, you ask any just casual Avatar fan what their like top 10 episodes are, this is guaranteed to be on their top 10. Like this is a fan favorite episode. So I was really shocked by it's not that it's even a low rating. It's just for how popular this episode is, I was really surprised that it was only 8.5. I was expecting at least a nine, if not more. Yes, um, those Dirt Kingdom haters, they're getting on the IMDB, <laughs> they're rating one. They're just they they don't let it go. <laughs> yep that's what it is 
Um, so we have some fun facts. I actually found a lot of fun facts for these two episodes that we're going to be talking about today. So I'm excited. Um, so for our first fun fact, a storyboard scene was shown at Anime Expo 2010 in which Combustion Man kills the two soldiers whose message the Fire Lord intercepted. Oh my God, okay, this is a long one. Uh, he intercepted in order to prevent the news that Aang was still alive from spreading. So basically he killed the two guys that were going to send the message to the Fire Lord that Aang was alive. Um, this scene, however, was deleted from the final episode. Gee, I wonder why. <laughs> can, we, can we just jump in for a second that his name in canon is Combustion Man? <laughs> yes. And I forgot that I'm you sorry, didn't even what? know that yet. <laughs> no. <laughs> Yeah, no, there, that actually is in um, not episode six, but episode seven, which we'll talk about next week. But um, yeah, they discuss what they're going to call this guy. And they just, they settle on the name Combustion Man. Oh, wait, so this is, <laughs> he's not like actually his canon name. Like the team avatar just comes up with a name for him, a nickname. No, actually Sokka is the one. He goes through a couple different names and he settles on Combustion Man. <laughs> <laughs> of course, leave it to Sokka. <laughs> Yeah, he's he's the guy that always comes up with the names for everybody. He's he's the name guy and the schedule guy. He's and the joke guy. <laughs> exactly. And the meat guy. And the and the meat guy. Um, the most underrated yeah. part of his character for sure. Can't forget that. Um, so our second fun fact is this episode was influenced significantly by the film The Breakfast Club, which was used as reference material for the relationship-based plot of the Ember Island players or the Ember Island storyline. Joaquin DeSantos humorously interjected the song Don't You Forget About Me at the end of the episode during the animatic phase of production. That's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> we That's had Footloose really and now we have The Breakfast Club. <laughs> This is it, this is just some nostalgia here. We're on a nostalgia trip here in in season three, aren't we? Exactly. That's but cool. It's, it's funny because while the Footloose it was very overt and it's very obvious, I didn't even really pick up on the Breakfast Club until I read about this. I was like, oh yeah, it is very similar. Like obviously, it's not beat for beat, but yeah. Um, you know, them all talking about their feelings and like they've all got their own baggage and backstories that we haven't quite discovered yet. Like mm -hmm. it it really started to come to light. I was like, oh, yeah, this is very breakfast clubby. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then we kind of already talked about this. But our third fun fact is that Katie Matilla was chosen to write this episode because of her prior experience with portraying Zuko's angsty teen personality while in romantic situations, as she had done in Zuko's segment of the Tales of Bossing Say episode. There you go. <laughs> when he cheated myself. on May by going on a date with another girl. Jeez, Zuko. Nah, he should have just stayed with Jen. I'm sorry, May. Like, you're <laughs> cool, but like, nah. Um, and our fourth and final fun fact for this episode is that according to the audio commentary, the beach's sand is gray due to volcanic ash, which is similar to the black sand beaches volcanic in volcanic regions around the world. That's really cool. I didn't even really notice. I didn't notice either. I've seen this episode like a million times and maybe it's just because I've seen it that I didn't really notice it. Um, but yeah, I went back after I saw that fun fact. I was like, oh yeah, the sand is kind of grayish. That's interesting. And a very, just like, it's such a small detail, but it really makes it like feel like a lived in world that they thought about and like, oh yeah, because the Fire Nation is full of volcanoes and surrounded by them and their islands. They would have, you know, not normal sand. Um, so I mean, yeah, come I really on like though. That. Let's let's be honest. None of us were looking at the sand during any of the beach scenes, though. <laughs> <laughs> right. So much eye candy. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, yeah, so anyway, just hopping right in on that, uh, since we had, since we had led off with that, the episode has a great tonality to it, which is one of many really good things to say about it, because it, it spends a big bunch of time at the beginning being really fun and really lighthearted and really jokey. Everything from the old ladies, you know, being insufferable over at the, the Ember Island, you know, beach house or whatever you want to call it mm-hmm. um everything from that to them on the beach trying to fit in and being <laughs> incredibly painfully awkward <laughs> mm-hmm. um all, all the way to the antics of the party and then things take a very very serious very somber turn but the thing is about it in my opinion i don't think the change in tone is jarring or disjointed or anything at all i feel like it connects us with the characters and it eases us into sort of a like troubled sort of emotional thing at the party and it just carries on from there i i think the the tone for being so different is very consistent yeah it the you know the tonal shift especially in the last uh, act of the episode is very it feels very natural it doesn't feel forced it doesn't feel like they're just adding drama to add it it's like no the way that they go about telling the story and how the characters get to where they are in the final act when they're you know kind of pouring their hearts out to each other it feels very natural and very um like yeah this is what it's all been building up to this entire time they've been on this vacation and um so i I really like that that it doesn't feel and especially especially because you know, I think that while many people could watch this episode and think that the height of like the drama and the emotional impact of the episode is during the scene where they're all around the campfire and Zuko finally admits that he's he's angry at himself, you know, kind of jumping as we always do, jumping to the end. Um, of course. <laughs> it wouldn't be us if we didn't do that. Um, while many people could interpret that as being the emotional, you know, zenith of the episode and that, that things go down from there from that that climactic plot point i kind of disagree in a way i think that the emotional heaviest point of the episode is zuko returning home and i think that from there things actually get a little bit more relaxed because the conversation around the campfire while it is deep and emotional it it's i don't want to say that it's that it's light because it's not but it's it's not heavy it, they move through it very easily it's it, it's not mm-hmm. it's not it's not a very painful discussion in so much as they don't need to wrestle the answers out of each other they challenge each other and then they kind of immediately open up it flows really really well mm-hmm. the stakes yeah. of the conflict are so low it's four people who all know each other just saying stuff they never had a chance to say right exactly and since you're talking about zuko going back to the home that is probably my favorite scene in the whole episode, just because it's, I've said it a million times, wordless storytelling. It is so good that there's not a word said, and yet we understand exactly how he's feeling, what this place means to him, what it means to the family. And and it's just, it's brilliant. And using those quick flashes as he's walking, you know, to the home of little just snippets of time is so good. And I don't know if you noticed, but in one of those, you know, obviously you have one of young Zuko, which we'd seen before of him, like smiling and looking out over the sea. Mm -hmm. Um, And 
there's one of Ursa with baby Zuko with his hand on the little plaque or whatever. And then there's another one. And when I was a kid, it, because it goes so fast, I didn't notice, but because I thought it was uh, Iroh, Zuko, and Azula, but it's not. It's Iroh, and it is Zuko, baby Zuko, that he's holding up, and then Luten, his son, you know, his little uh, kid son. And that just made it so much sadder. <laughs> it's yep. like, oh my God, this is so freaking sad. Like, oh, they had such happy memories here. And like, you know, we never see Luten, but, you know, the way that Iroh talks about him and the way that even Zuko reacted to his death when he found out as a kid, like, you could tell that they were close. And seeing this kind of, this little flash in time of them, it totally confirms that. And it's just, again, so sad, but like, well, you know it's... what adds an additional dimension to the sadness of it and the emotional complexity of the entire thing is that we know that his childhood was not happy. We know mm -hmm. that it was filled with, with, with pain and it was filled with abuse and it was filled with the psychological torment from his sister and a disapproval of his father hanging over his head. And it hits a very complex story beat that you can have a childhood like that and yet still have those moments where... I mean, they're still your family. Mm -hmm. And you have those moments of holding your father's hand or sitting with your mother or playing with your cousin and your uncle that even in the middle of things being bad, there are things that will, that are warm, happy memories that you cherish, that you hold on to yeah. because they, they're, you're close with people. And no matter how bad things get, like it's, it's, it's really, really just, it's hard to put into words. Like the conflict that creates and the show because it shows and doesn't tell leaves us to internalize it. And I think that that is just masterfully done. Yeah. Chef's kiss. Mm -hmm. um, and when he finally does get into the house and he's looking through and he finds the little, um, I don't know what to call it. Just like the clay piece with this handprint, you know, his little baby handprint, which I had a bunch of those when I was a kid, you know, color me mine and all that. So that, that just hits different for me. Mm -hmm. um, but then he finds the family portrait and I've always found it very fascinating, even as a kid that in the family portrait, Ozai's got his hand on Zuko's shoulder. You'd think it'd be the opposite that like Ursa would be, you know, holding onto Zuko and Azula would be with Ozai, but it's flipped. And you can tell he just kind of lingers on that, you know, uh, Zuko's looking at this, this portrait and it's everything that he wants, but, and he has it now, but as he says later, you know, like he, it's not at all what he thought it was going to be. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I really love that. And then the fact that he burns the photo, you know, I think he shows that, yeah, I'm kind of over all of this. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm over this terrible family and this terrible life that I now have. And yeah, so well, it's, it's and, really good. And so, and so I offer, I offer on that a, a thought of mine as I was watching it, which is that, you know, it is unusual in that photo that he would be there on that side. And so the way I kind of thought about it was they're posing for a photo though. And when you mm -hmm. pose for a photo, the aesthetics that they would be posed into by the person who's making it would be like, oh, the daughter should stand and on the mother's side and the son should be on the father's side for like, you know. Mm -hmm. and, so and so there's a sort of fakeness and like a good appearances in right. that photo. 
it's something that he's always wanted. He wants that closeness with his father, of his father's hand on his shoulders, that sort of, that approving, that expectation, and that I'm proud of you. Mm-hmm. But he knows that's not true. It's a photo. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's something that was made. It was posed to look that way for appearance's sake, as we said, for aesthetics. And mm-hmm. it's not accurate to the way things really are. And so for me, I kind of look at it in two ways. When Zuko burns the picture so flippantly, mind you, so flippantly mm-hmm. throws it in the fire, number one, someone could look at that and say, well, you know, there he is trying to put away those, you know, those family memories. They don't matter to him. But there's also a rejection inside of the, I don't want this fakery. I want something real. Right. I want something tangible. And all of us look at us, what a happy family we are, throw that in the fire because I want to face reality, mm-hmm. good or bad. Yeah. it's And again, I love that you can look at it so many different ways. And like, they don't just spell it out for you. They kind of leave it up to interpretation why he would do that and why, what he's feeling in that moment. And so... Yeah, it's it's really subtle and brilliant. Um, and then to top off that scene, you have uh, him sitting out there um, on the porch of the house and Azula walks up. And this is probably the only time that Azula has like seemed to genuinely care about Zuko. Like it, the way that she talks to him is just so gentle and so in a way sweet that we just are, it's almost dis- just, what is the word I'm looking for? Disarming? disarming yeah. i don't know disarming. Yeah, disarming yeah okay um and yeah because we're just so not used to her being considerate and kind to other people um so you almost think it's fake but i don't think so i think that she genuinely was like worried about zuko and she knew exactly where to find him when he stormed off um why are you why are you smiling i'm sorry words are hard have you no i'm not laughing at you have you ever seen the movie ramona and Bezos? Uh, I think like the, once. The, the one with Selena Gomez and um, oh gosh, what's her name when she was a little kid? Do you remember the scene where the girl in front of her is like playing music and the curls in her hair are bouncing and she's like getting so distracted? Your hair is doing the exact same thing. Oh my god! The bun on your head <laughs> is bouncing as you're talking, and I'm like, it's mesmerizing. <laughs> that's that's why. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, it is very, uh, I've got my hair for everybody that can't see, which is everybody. Uh, I've got my hair up in a very high bun and it's very bouncy right now. It's almost like a beehive cut. It's so tall. <laughs> and it's just every time you talk, it's like bouncing. And I'm just like, <laughs> in rapture. No. Yes. Um, now I've completely lost it. <laughs> You're <saying>. welcome. <laughs> oh, uh, Azula, Azula, right. Um, yeah, so it's it's just very sweet um, that she really cares about Zuko in that moment. And uh, Grey Delisle, who does the voice work for Azula, just really sells that. Um, this has some really great voice work from her. Like this is a great episode for Azula in general. Um, let's let's did, jump did on wanna, that. Did, let's let's jump yeah. on. It. I have a lot <laughs> of stuff to say about it because we might as well get into each one. Really, each one of the characters there at the campfire and what they have to share. And let's just start off with Azula because Azula's mm-hmm. Azula's is last, and she hers is different from all the others because while everybody lays bare a vulnerability, Azula doesn't in a way because she's like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, my own mother thought I was a monster. 
And then there's the part of her that is like an actual certifiable sociopath that goes, yeah. which I mean, she's right, but it still hurts. It still hurts. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing is that there's part part of Azula that's a little inhuman. There's something a little broken in there somewhere, just a little mm-hmm. off somewhere in the head. Where you know that she was the kind of person that like, would torture small animals or pull the wings off flies like you you know that she was that mm-hmm. kid it's something what something's wrong something's wrong with azula and we so, need to talk about azula <laughs> yeah yeah we do <laughs> yeah it's uh it's it's really weird then to see having everybody having shared something truly vulnerable about themselves she pretty much states like yeah i'm messed up but then she's a real blank slate as far as like the emotional connection to that. She just kind of doesn't have it. Yeah. Well, to me, I always read that. And again, this might just be hindsight, but I always read her little confession of, oh yeah, I could complain about how Zuko's or our mom likes Zuko more than me, but I don't really care. She thought I was a monster. You know, she was right, of course, but it's still her. Like that whole little monologue. Um, You know, she's so flippant about it. And I feel like it's almost like she almost gets emotional about it. And then she becomes so flippant because it's almost like a defense mechanism. Mm -hmm. Like she doesn't want to go down that road. She doesn't want to get into that, get, you know, unpack her baggage with her mom. Because as I've been saying from basically. Almost like she, she pretended to take down a wall, but she didn't actually take down the wall. She just followed suit to it. She just kind of copied everybody else and was like, oh yeah, this was an emotional thing, but she didn't even share her like actual personal feelings about it. Oh yeah. And believe me, you will, you'll learn more about this baggage that she has because it is basically her undoing. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, this is just barely scratching the surface um, when it comes to, you know, Azula and her feelings towards her mother and all that. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's still very funny. Like, I just love how flippant it is. (laughs) It's so Azula to like... But she has this, like, emotional kind of disconnection from things. She's just, like, kind of a step back further away from everybody else. There's, like, an emotional repression going on Mm -hmm. with her on some level. Well, because, and I mean, let me step back then and kind of with each of them also, which is kind of what I hope to do, to talk about their conversation at the campfire and then relate it back to their antics earlier in the episode. Because while Mm -hmm. it's funny, it's also very telling how Azula brings this absolutely unnecessary intensity to literally everything. She gets involved in the volleyball game and she's like, now you've been defeated for all time. You are returning (laughs) shame. You never rise from the ashes of your shame and humiliation. (laughs) yes which is totally how i'm going to end every small just for fun competition from now on um i'm a really good chess player um but (laughs) (laughs) i'm usually more graceful about winning um but then also at 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 the party where the guy kisses her and she's just like we will be the strongest couple you know the the entire fire nation is just like we'll dominate the earth (laughs) (laughs) yes yeah I need a woman like that. That's a, that's the kind of woman I need in my life. I need a woman that wants to dominate the earth with me. And when she says it, blue fire. Ambitious. Yes, ambitious. I mean, I need a woman who's got that fire, by which I mean blue flames just shooting from her palms of her hands. Right. And this wasn't in the fun facts, because this doesn't necessarily pertain solely to this episode. But fun fact, 
um, one of the early concepts for Azula's arc in this season was that she was going to be betrothed and married. Um, really? They, yeah. Yeah. Obviously they completely cut that, scrapped it, but it just, I was reminded of it because, you know, she, you know, gets it in a sort of not actual relationship, but she has a fling with this guy for a night <laughs> and, you know, it just, for like, a minute. Oh, yeah, I for yeah, literally. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so she was originally going to be betrothed and married off, and that was going to be part of her story arc. I don't really know like what the specifics are, or if there even were specifics, because it didn't make it past you know the idea phase. But just kind of interesting, and I wonder, you know, <laughs> it's just weird to think about because like she's fourteen. <laughs> like I know that Game of Thrones and all that, but like this isn't Game of Thrones. This is <laughs> like, <laughs> like yeah, There's, child there rights. Fine. There were twelve different things you could have said other than that, but you just went right for the throat. I mean, Game of Thrones and all that, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's. I mean, it's the big high fantasy thing to compare it to right now. So whatever. But um, we've yes. already made one Game of Thrones comparison in the last episode. So yeah, yes, indeed. In many archaic cultures, it was very common <laughs> yeah. for the for the betrothal age to be quite low. Or in other words, Game of Thrones and all that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, goodness. Oh, no, but that is really interesting. I mean, especially because, Lord, that would open, like, a whole new level of... <laughs> I can just imagine her just burning the guy alive, like, day one of their marriage. <laughs> it's... It, I almost imagine it, like, it would go one of two ways if they were to have gone through with this storyline. Either A, she absolutely hates the guy and plots to like kill him <laughs> or B the guy actually manages to manipulate her kind of like what Marjorie does to Joffrey in mm -hmm. uh, game of Thrones. Since we're talking about it, yeah. um, I could see it very much going that way where like they actually kind of feed off of each other's manipulation tactics and like they actually end up being a power couple in a really fucked up way. <laughs> yeah. Actually <laughs> like, I can, yeah. I could see that. Yeah. Yeah. That would be, so it, that would... It'd be one or the other. Yeah, I don't no know. Are we saying mixed oppor missed opportunity here? Like, should they have done it? I don't know. I think that what they do do with her is really good and very compelling. And man, we're going to talk so much about her arc as we start to get more into it in this season. But uh, yeah, so the the seeds of it are being planted, especially in this episode. But man, it gets so deep <laughs> the further along we go, and it's it's a very big talking point among Avatar fans. And it's one of those things where people have mixed opinions on it, like on how, where she ends up by the end of the show. Um, so I can't wait to talk about that with you, but anyway, <laughs> mm, more and yeah, more to intriguing. look forward to. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I also, can I just say, I love how absolutely painfully awkward Azula is and just like every step. I don't even mean the like unnecessary <laughs> intensity, but like they, they just laugh loudly at everything he says, even if it's not funny. And she just like <laughs> tries it. <laughs> she just like, Yes. And it's like just abrasively loud laughter of yes. like, what was that? Yeah, the uh, the my favorite bit, and this is a very funny joke within the Avatar fandom, is when she tries to flirt with the guy when he first lets them into the house, and the whole that's a sharp outfit, Chan. Careful, <laughs> you could puncture the hull of a fireclad navy battleship, leaving thousands to drown at sea because it's so sharp. <laughs> 
says it is perfection see i love it okay and here's the thing that's so i'm gonna use your word it's so disarming because here here's (laughs) here's my toxic trait girls who are painfully awkward are like super attractive to me (laughs) i i i just i love it if a girl tried to compliment me like that and it was just something so forced and so awkward it would work i'd be like wow wow this girl's (laughs) wife material I know, yeah. So, so you're that, saying that you now have a crush on Azula. <laughs> so anyway, so uh, Maze anyway. was really interesting. Uh, <laughs> right. Moving on. This one I want to work from. This one I want to work from the earlier part of the episode forward. So I'm kind of playing. Like mm-hmm. a, I'm probably kind of playing a volleyball game back and forth hey. with the characters. Hey. <laughs> References, um, because. I love, I really genuinely loved, I think I had like one of those smiles that makes your face hurt watching Zuko in May and their stuff from everything. He was like, here, here's a shell for you. And she's like, um, why would I want that? He's like, I don't know. It's like pretty and girls like this. Don't girls like that? (laughs) Maybe dumb girls. Forget it. And then, and then the random outburst from Zuko just gets me. I just forget it. <laughs> He's so funny. Oh my god. He's trying so Zuko, hard. How is Zuko extra Zuko in this episode? The Zuko has been turned up to like 200%. The, the angst is over 9,000. <laughs> it is. It's dangerous levels of a Zuko angst. This is like the most concentrated Zuko that he's ever been. And that's yes. including season one Zuko, who's like always at an 11. Well, even by his own admission later, like real quick jump, it, he says, he's like, I'm the, I, I'm angrier than I've ever been. I'm like, no, Zuko, you are more Zuko than you've ever been right now. Okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> Zuko distilled and bottled. <laughs> exactly. But I also love where he breaks up the ice cream. <laughs> It seemed hot, so it just falls in her lap and without missing a beat. Without missing a beat. This is really refreshing. <laughs> yes. They're just so like painfully like awkward, both of them. And they're so goth um, too, because they're like yes. in the shade hiding under an umbrella. Like so they don't get tanned at all. Yeah, and they're wearing darker reds and blacks, whereas May and or sorry, uh, Tylee and Azul are wearing these bright reds and whites. It's <laughs> just like they're so goth. Like, I'm sorry, are they Morticia uh, and Gomez, but they hate each other instead of adore each other? Like, exactly. That is pretty much the perfect way to describe them, honestly. It is. Um, I, all, all I wanted was for them to like have a random tango at the party, and they didn't. And I was kind of like hate, just hate tangoing across the dance floor. Right oh man yeah they're uh they're the uh they're the goth kids of the group for sure so it's really difficult for me being an a very extroverted extrovert the kind of person whose heart is on his sleeve all the time in case you haven't noticed um no no, no. no yeah absolutely not at all I, i'm you know I, I i don't share how i feel at all ever um <laughs> It's very difficult for me to pe- deal with people who are an emotional brick wall. 
people like mm -hmm. may and i know and have known in my life a handful of them and it's very difficult for me to interact with them it's very frustrating at times because when you give energy you want that energy reciprocated back otherwise it feels like a very one-sided interaction it can be either very frustrating or very disappointing um or even just plain boring um big gemini energy there by the way just like some people i meet are just boring <laughs> right but i gotta tell you for me personally it was kind of eye-opening for her to describe herself as having to be the kid that behaved all the time because in hindsight, a lot of the people in my life who I have had those interactions with, and some of them are like people who I broke off having anything to do with them. Like not purely like, oh, they were boring and I didn't want to talk to them, but just like there was nothing reciprocated in the relationship because it mm -hmm. seemed so one-sided. And I just had this moment where I was like, oh my gosh, I'm actually kind of sorry. Like I kind of get it now because a lot of them had upbringings like that where they had to behave and not share how they felt or what they thought about anything and just mm -hmm. see look at that we're all doing therapy here i know i was like i'm right i'm right at the campfire with you guys Jeez, it's interesting that yeah may's upbringing we've seen it like we saw it in return to amashu that you know she does have a high up you know governor father and a, a controlling mother and that she has a baby brother. So she was an only child for the majority of her life. And, you know, all of that really informs why she acts the way that she does, why she's so standoffish, why she's so quiet, why, you know, she longs for adventure and an exciting life, but she's been relegated to being the governor's daughter and you know the perfect little princess or whatever she's not a princess, well, but well, basically. Because it gives her like an excuse, it gives her justification to like act out. Right, exactly. Um, so, yeah, when she really lays it all out, it's like, yeah, no wonder. <laughs> like, just kind of gave us a whole new perspective, or not really a new perspective, but just like you really just laid it out and we're like, yeah, I didn't really think about that. Um, and then when she finally does kind of, you know, snap back at Zuko when he's, you know, is like, I wish that you would be fiery or like have some emotion, and she actually does, you know, it's very, again, disarming because we're not used to her being so fiery and like you know really standing up for herself like fiery. that yeah I, I did that i meant to do that <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah and it's it really adds a lot of because i wouldn't say she's like the deepest character out of all of them but it adds a lot more to her once we see all that laid out um so i've always liked may i know that she's like not a fan favorite but i don't know i just have a thing for like not not it's not like with you where you really like characters like raven who i do love um it's more just like i love super badass non-bending characters in avatar and she was one of the main ones in this show at least so i was like i like her she's cool yeah. she's, um, she's she's a dry sarcastic character with rapier wit and she's just i i just love her she's great she's the bored rich girl yeah, wants to kill some people, you know, no big deal. Yeah, you know, totally relatable, rich homicidal girl. You get, you relate to that, right? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so now I guess we can move on to Ty Lee, mm -hmm. who, yeah, I mean, what would you think of her little 
backstory that we're given. Well, it was it was a refreshing reminder because I had forgotten after such a long time, I had actually forgotten that she is one of a whole bunch of sisters and stuff. Because they had only mentioned that like once before, didn't they? Um... Like right when she's introduced, don't they mention that she has like a whole bunch of sisters or that she's one of a, a, one of a big family? No, actually. The only thing that we get when she's first introduced is that she and Azula went to a special Fire Nation Academy for girls together. That's how they know each other. Huh. Mm-hmm. It was really... You know, we had seen earlier in the episode, um, you know, that vulnerability from her. She kind of gets knocked around a bit emotionally in this in this episode, you know, and it kind of pushes her to a break point. But hers is a very unique one because it's a... It's a pain, but it's like a, I have to be happy because if I, it's almost like a learned, a learned positivity. Mm-hmm. How do I say this? There's like a, there's a thing right now in social media people talk about a lot where they talk about uh, toxic positivity, mm-hmm. which is, are you familiar with the term? Yeah. Okay. Which is, you know, it's, it's positive messages and positive messages and look on the bright side and silver linings on everything to the exclusion of giving yourself permission to actually be sad and depressed and acknowledge that things are hard and while it's good to have positive energy like it's not good to just repress the fact that things are wrong all the time and never acknowledge that you're struggling because that's the kind of thing that makes you feel like you can't ask people for help or can't show negativity as if it's weakness or going to bring down the room or any of a hundred justifications not to share something negative with people and i kind of picked up a little bit of that vibe with her a sort of like a maybe a combination of i hurt i hurt so much from the past but now i'm finally free but like i kind of have to be really happy about things because if i didn't i would still be miserable from all the years i was miserable Mm mm-hmm you know what I mean? Almost like a put on happiness, like sort of like a taught, a taught, self-taught, like I have to look on the bright side of things and focus on like really bright, happy things because I've been miserable for so long. I've needed to like proactively find things to be happy about and be bright and bubbly about. Maybe even, yeah. maybe, maybe even a, maybe she might've even done that as a way to try to stand out from all of her sisters to be overtly bubbly, happy, bright and cheery to make herself stand out who knows what the rest of them were like it's really mm-hmm. deeply layered with her even though she talks about it a lot it's kind of not the end of the story like why yeah yeah and i really like that they bring up like that she because of her you know sisters and them all looking similar and her feeling like she doesn't have much of an identity that she seeks attention and validation from other people and, you know, not just boys, but also from Azula and from the other characters, like, you know, and I think that's very relatable, especially for girls um, to kind of seek outside validation and like the fact that they bring that up. And then that kind of ties into May and how, why, you know, what's your excuse? You were an only child and had all the attention for 15 years and, you know, you're still miserable. Like, so it's a very interesting dynamic, how different the two of them are. And yet at the core this, the problem's the same. And so, yeah, I just really like that, that kind of breaking or them breaking that down um, and kind of, you know, not, well, they do, they, they peel back the layer of, you know, Tylee's character um, without changing what we know 
about her. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like it, it just, as with May, it informs why she is the way that she is, you know, learning her backstory. Um, and I just really like when they take, you know, not necessarily minor characters, but like secondary third characters, you know, yeah. um, what are they tertiary characters? I think that's yes. the word. Um, secondary and tertiary characters. And you actually give them backstories and personalities. And, you know, these, these two may entirely could so easily have just been flunkies or, you know, Azula's lackeys, but no, they actually are characters. And especially in this season, they have their own mini arcs that they go through. And this is the beginning, much like with Azula of their own arc. And so, you know, it's, it's really cool to see. Um, I can't wait. I can't wait for Combustion Man's deep angsty backstory <laughs> in his childhood. I, I really can't wait. Yeah, I can tell you right now. Um, Combustion Man is literally like the most underdeveloped character in all of Avatar. He is literally just a hitman. Is that he is Darth so Maul cool. in The Phantom Menace? Yes. It's <laughs> all we know about him is that he's hired to kill Aang and that's it. Okay. We don't know what happened to his arm or his leg, like if he was experimented on or what happened. Like he's literally just there to look okay. cool and right. do I'm, cool I'm, stuff. I'm, I'm, call, I'm, call, I'm calling now. I'm calling now <laughs> upon the creators of the show to come back for one more series and for it to be a prequel <laughs> to Avatar: The Last Airbender, just called Combustion Man. Honestly, knowing them, they probably would do like a spin-off comic on it because there's so many spin-off comics for different characters. Oh, that'd be amazing. That'd be amazing. Yeah. Oh, but, but as you were transitioning us to, we do need to talk about our boy Zuko. Yeah, and then we'll get to Combustion Man because that's the that's the B plot. But yes, Zuko. Yes. <laughs> oh, yes. Zuko. Yeah, Zuko. But, but the thing with Zuko is that we already knew a ton of that stuff. You know, this is just we're topping off where he is now because we've been following him this entire time. We know his past. We know his arc through two seasons of the show and now in season three. And so for him to really come back as, you know, you said even in our last episode um, about how he has everything he wants, but he's still frustrated with it. And it it's a really a, a very satisfying sort of revelation, self-revelation for him to say, I'm angry at myself. Mm-hmm. It's what he's been denying for four episodes now. I would say he's honest, like, especially these in this season, but I feel like he's been angry at himself for the entire show. And this is just kind of him at his boiling point, <laughs> like him just really coming to terms with that. Um, Cause that's a hard thing to admit that like, instead of blaming someone else or something else on your frustration and anger, you point it inward and you realize I'm just angry at myself, like, or disappointed in myself or whatever you may be feeling. Well, the thing is that he, all of his anger in the past, in the previous seasons, the show and in his life has been, yes, anger at himself, but it's because he's disappointed other people. I mean, the mm. main one being he disappointed his father, but now that he's back, he has everyone's approval. Well, not Iroh, but like for setting Iroh aside because, you know, Iroh's always been his friend. In the past, he's always had everybody against him. You know, his mm -hmm. father's disapproval. He had, you know, um, uh, um, Azula's disapproval where she came down so hard on him that he was such a disappointment. And now he has it back. Everybody loves him. Mm -hmm. And so now he has a chance to be alone with the only person he has disappointed and not made right by which is himself. Again, Iroh, not notwithstanding, but himself. Mm -hmm. 
and that's a really interesting point where you know it really takes him down and strips him down to the core of where he's at right now so yeah absolutely he's been mad at himself the entire time he just everyone else he's made peace with yeah and one of my favorite line readings like basically my two favorite line readings in the entire episode are back to back in that scene it's obviously dante bosco's you know when he they're asking him you know what are you angry at who are you angry at and he obviously shouts you know i'm angry at myself fantastic line reading um you can just feel all that pent-up anger and frustration and sadness in his voice but then my second favorite comes directly after that and it's azula's line and it is just one word why but the way she says it again it's so unlike her because it's so gentle and it's like genuinely concerned like why are you so angry at yourself and just those two lines back to back they give me chills like oh so good and then zuko explains you know because I'm confused. I feel like I don't know the difference between right and wrong anymore. This is literally, <laughs> we make this comparison every time. This is Kylo Ren saying, I feel it again, the pull to the light. Like this is, yep. he's so confused by where he is right now. And he doesn't know what to do or what side to choose or anything. Um, and yeah, that's that's weighing on him a lot. And it's gonna, you know, cause him to make some very, interesting decisions in the following episodes but you know you know what my favorite line reading from the episode was what that food was for my cranky girlfriend <laughs> yes i knew it was gonna be a funny line <laughs> hey that food was for my cranky girlfriend such a charmer oh man uh, I, stand... I love the lines before that though yeah when i'm bored i know I'm hungry. So what? So go find me some food. Okay. <laughs> like just the deadpan is phenomenal. It's so good. The Sandy Land really does have an interesting effect on everybody, doesn't it? <laughs> yes. So real quick, because I feel like we talked about this episode for a minute, but I do want to touch on Confession Man and the amazing fight scene that happens. It's... Uh, uh... Uh, Usually one of my on, favorite. My jaw was on the floor. I was like, as soon as just a beam from his forehead just creates this fire and the sound effect. The sound oh, effect, yeah. Amanda. The sound effect. Oh my god. That popping and then the explosion happening. It reminds me so much of um Django Fett's whatever they're called, the detonators. The where... seismic charge. Yes. It reminds me so much of that. Oh. <laughs> like, but oh yeah, it's so good. And one thing I don't even know if you noticed, but this is my favorite part about the fight scene. Um, so just in case anyone hasn't watched it, the gang are all asleep. They're like in this little crescent hill, whatever. And Combustion Man is up above them and he's looking down at them. And Toph senses him and she wakes everybody up. And before they can really react, Combustion Man shoots basically a giant explosion from his head. How that works no one knows we don't question it's just cool uh, it's one of those things in avatar that we just let it slide because he's not important um but yeah so the the explosion happens and they've all been like shocked awake and there's no music it is just the sound effects and it makes it feel so visceral and so like you're right there you are right there with everybody you know ang deflects with a giant as uh, blast of wind 
Toph trying to shoot the rocks up to him to knock him over, but he shoots through them. You know, Katara using the water to create the steam. It's so well choreographed and so good. And it's happening at nighttime. They all have just woken up, but they're like trying so hard to stay alive because this guy just come out of nowhere. Um, and then Aang, you know, tells them all to get on up and get out of here. I'll distract him. And he goes into this giant gorge just full of these rock pillars and just the slow motion shot. Oh my God. The slow motion shot of the explosion. You can see how it happens and like the air containing it. And I'm just, oh, it's so good. Oh, it's, it's tremendous. Yeah, it's it's literally like a minute long fight, but it is so well done. It feels like an actual fight from like a live action adult movie because there's no sound effects because it's like such a dangerous fight. Um, yeah, the danger is very real. It's like the grave danger. Like there's no like joking around. There's no playing no. around. <laughs> it's not a fun fight. Aang can't have fun with this. Like there is nothing about this. There's no frivolity to it. It is life or death very quickly with an enemy they don't know who can kill all of them in like a single shot. Exactly, and it's you feel that tension and that just like the. I don't even know what I'm trying to say. It's just, it's so well done and I absolutely love it. And I, I would have been so mad at myself if we didn't mention it, even though it is very brief. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a great way to kind of just have a little cap off to the episode, um, which is, you know, pretty heavy on the character side, but to have a nice, awesome, concise yeah. action scene as well. It's, it's really good. Yeah. Well, yeah. So yeah, this, uh, the episode is, is, <laughs> is amazing it's got so much in it and i mean for me this episode is like it's an easy like nine i'm gonna say 9.1 out of 10 for me nice um i think i'll go just a point one below i'll say a nine out of ten um because it's really really good i don't think that the 8.5 does the no, episode justice not at all <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah but, so that uh, was great. Yeah. Leave us a great rating. Be sure to follow us on Instagram. Oh, wait, we have a second <laughs> episode, don't we? <laughs> this one we have probably even more to talk about. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes, this brings us to episode six of season three The Avatar and the Fireboard. Um, you know, there are there are a lot of things to say about the episode, but you know, the episode is just it's a lot of straight narrative. It's a lot of straight narrative. It, it's a it's a mm -hmm. it's a looking back. So like we'll we'll see all that we have to say about it here. Um it's written by Elizabeth Welch Ihaj. Um great to see her anytime she's in the credits. We love her writing. Uh directed mm -hmm. by Ethan Spaulding, and it is animated by JM Animation. The episode aired October 26, 2007, and the IMDb rating of The Avatar and the Fire Lord is a whopping 9.5 out of 10. Jeez. Yep. This is this is one of those episodes that is on every like rating, top 10 rating. Like this is always gonna be on every list for highest ranked episodes of Avatar, and it is one of my favorites. Like, not to spoil, but <laughs> It is so good. Well, take us away with some fun facts. Oh, shit. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. So 
During this episode, Katara asks if there are bathrooms in the spirit world. Sokka then tells her, as a matter of fact, there are not. This is a reference to the Winter Solstice Part 1, when Sokka is trapped in the spirit world for 24 hours, and upon being freed, he immediately needs to use the bathroom. So, callbacks. Yeah, imagine not having a bowel movement for 24 hours. Oh, God. Terrible. (laughs) (laughs) It's just funny that they did a callback to our least favorite episode. It's um, all so connected, Todd. Everything comes back. Yes, it's all part of the plan. Including bathroom <laughs> jokes from our least favorite Avatar episode. Yes. <laughs> um, our second fun fact is that this marks the introduction of Greg Baldwin voicing Uncle Iroh. Although Iroh has been seen in episode, episode three, season three, this is the first time he has spoken since the passing of Mako, Iroh's original voice actor. Yes. And we've talked about this quite a bit, so... Uh, you, and, and while he does a very fair impression of the character and very good, he, I, I was wondering how close it would be. You can tell. You can tell it's not him. The voice isn't isn't as deep as, mm-hmm. and gravelly. Um, all the inflections are there, and it's a very good impression of of his voice. But like immediately when he started talking, like he got three words in, and I was like, yeah, you can tell it's somebody different. <laughs> I could just tell you that as a kid, you do not notice. You, I had no idea until I got older that that was not the original voice actor. Um, our third fun fact is that Ron Perlman of Hellboy fame voiced older Fire Lord Sozin. I don't know if you caught that or picked up on that voice. You but... know, I knew it was a voice I recognized, <laughs> but I didn't know who it was. I'm going to have to rewatch the parts where he's older now because I could hear it. And I was like, there's some famous actor doing this. I'm sure I'll find out when I talk to him. Yeah. It. <laughs> yeah, I was the exact same. I was like, I recognize the voice, but I cannot place it. And then as soon as I read it, I was like, yep, that's, that makes sense. That's Ron Perlman. <laughs> um, and then our fourth and final fun fact is that the creator st- stated that this episode was one of the most complex of the series, with by far the most background designs of any episode outside of the four-part finale. Interesting. Interesting. By far the most far most background designs is that referring to like literal background art or we're talking about character backgrounds uh i believe we're talking about the background designs for the for the like backgrounds like the locations because if you know we go to so many different new locations in this one episode that yeah it it there's a lot of traveling that happens and a lot of time jumps and stuff so I can imagine that this would be one of the most complex um, design-wise of the series, like I said, outside the four-part finale. Yeah. And there's a ton to the episode, as you say, because they move around a lot. And I like the setup. I think the episode, just kind of looking at the episode front to back, you know, in summary real quick, you know, overarchingly, yeah, sure, like Roku and Sozin's story, but following our present day arc i love that there is a call for both ang and uh zuko once again that duality between the two of them that yin and yang i told you or yin and ang is the case maybe <laughs> i told you that the whole dyad idea was like going to be heavily explored and this is the episode <laughs> yeah yeah and then you know and it carries through all the way to the end you know each of them and their separate journeys uh ang in the spirit world literally getting it firsthand from roku and 
um, Zuko getting the tip from Uncle Iroh to to go into the archives, the secret archives, and and find uh, Sozin's account. Um, and it's also great that each of them are respectively getting it from the their own ancestor. Even though mm -hmm. Aang isn't blood related to Roku, you know what I'm saying. Obviously, he's the reincarnation. Yeah. Um, that they're getting it from my ancestor, and I, I really do love that. I really just that like the internal story aside for a moment. I think that the storytelling outside of it is 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 great of how it builds that dyad. See, it's interesting because yes, I agree that I really like that when we're in the present day story with uh, Aang and Zuko, that they are doing parallel journeys of figuring out what the relationship was between Fire Lord Sozin and Roku. Um, but I will say this is probably my only problem with this episode. And that is that I think that on Aang's side of the story, that it's kind of lazy the way that they actually get him to that point of learning the story. Like, if that makes sense. Like, literally, it opens with Roku coming to Aang in a vision um, or a dream or whatever, saying, it's time you learned about my history with Fire Lord Sozin. And it's like, <laughs> wait, what? He's just like, hey, Why? so I've been waiting for a while for, like, a good time. And yeah. this seems like a good time where you're not um, dying um, on the on the run in the middle of a fight we're trying to save somebody so like you got like maybe like a half hour to an hour tonight free <laughs> yeah exactly it just feels like very like let's just get into it let's not build up to this at all so and that's fair because what we get to is phenomenal but I think that at least on Aang's side yeah the the build up to getting to that point is like Okay, that's kind of lazy, but all right. I guess we're gonna do this. I think um, somewhere, somewhere in the spirit world, because Uncle Iroh is attuned to the spirit world, he like slipped the scroll to 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 right. Zuko, and Roku is just like, "This is as good a time as any. <laughs> let's, right. let's let's go. We've been planning this for a while." I called Iroh. We called each other last night and set this up. Right. Um, and the fact that, again, we get another callback to, to the Winter Solstice when he has to go to Roku's island. Right. Um, again, it's like, why? Why? I mean, why couldn't they just end it up there anyway? I don't know. But again, that is a minor nitpick because it's literally just the opening scene. A anything that has but... anything to do with Winter Solstice Part 1 is just building on <laughs> shaky ground to begin with. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> but... Um, um, yes getting into the actual history um i think it's so fascinating and this isn't even a story that i really thought that we needed but like i'm so glad that we got we, it we turn, this is the story we didn't know we needed but we needed it yes a surprise to be sure but a welcome one <laughs> <laughs> yeah no especially especially the fact that roku roku being the last avatar before Aang, and not the last mm -hmm. avatar the same way Aang yes. is the pre previous avatar roku the last avatar <laughs> roku the, who is the embodiment of previously on avatar right <laughs> previously on avatar roku came uh, the avatar came from the fire nation and he was not only friends with fire lord sozen but he was also buddies with monkey <laughs> Mm -hmm. which is yep. amazing 
And I mean, it makes yeah. perfect sense. The timing of it's perfect in their lifetimes because he is old by the time that Aang is born and then is a child, which is when Roku is old and then dies. And as soon as he dies, Aang is born. So. Yeah. <laughs> the way you just went about that. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. No, it's really funny. Well, because you think about it in principle that you're like, oh, he's the reincarnation. So like when the spirit of the Avatar is no longer in one person's life, it's passed on, you know, he's reincarnated in a new life. But like mm-hmm. the actual nuts and bolts of someone dying and then a baby being born at that exact moment, I'm like, oh. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> exactly. You fall. We've also solved a very long and controversial debate that, yes, the Avatar spirit does enter the baby at birth. Oh, God. <laughs> Please, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> you're so crazy. Um, but, uh, yeah, I love when we first see, um, you know, Avatar, I was going to say Avatar Sozin, Avatar Roku, and who at the time is only Prince Sozin. He's not the Fire Lord just yet. And they're just sparring out in the uh, the courtyard or whatever. And I'm just gonna say it right here. I don't know if this is like a like a popular theory. Yeah, there's or whatever. the thing. There's a thing between them for sure, 100. Uh, percent Yeah, I'm sorry. I I have no doubt that if the if the anime was made, not anime, but if the cartoon was made today, that they would have been boyfriends because this is literally and you're gonna like mind blown right now, but. This is literally Dumbledore and Grindelwald. Like, think about mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. It is the exact same story. Yep. And, like, I'm sure that Nick wouldn't have allowed it, but, man, you can just tell you're like, yeah, these guys are more than just buddies. Come on. <laughs> like, well, especially that little... They fi- wanted to rule that, the world there's, together. There's that little physicality. Yes, they wanted to rule the world together, but there's also that little physicality there of, like, when he trips him over the root mm-hmm. and he grabs and he him. Grabs the shirt, and there's yeah. that little... There's that long pause that's just a little too long, and then he yep. lets him fall, and we're like, oh, You just oh, want to get oh. a peek at his abs. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's, uh... Yeah, it's... And then the fact that they just have to go and make it all... Petro by throwing in a love interest, like a female love interest. I'm like, ugh, come on. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah. So I just had to throw that out there because, again, I haven't really seen a lot of people talking about that. But I'm kind of, I wouldn't be surprised if in the live action Netflix they do that. I would, I would actually would be, be 100% behind that. That would, that would um, be interesting to see. And, and as a quick note, it is one of those things that I'm very interested to see. They're shooting so much for authenticity in the new mm-hmm. live-action Avatar The Last Airbender show. It makes me wonder what things that they might, might like that, mm-hmm. that they might move in a slightly different direction for variation on what the show has already done. It just, as yeah. a general thought to throw out there, it's going to be really interesting to see that. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised, and I would be here for it, honestly. Um, I'm going to start writing my Roku Sozin fanfics. <laughs> <laughs> Just so you can say you did it first. <laughs> right. Um, but uh, yeah, I love seeing that, and I love the big reveal of Avatar Roku being deemed the Avatar, because in most or most of the time, the Avatar isn't told until they're 16 years old. Aang was different, obviously, because it was a time of war. Um, but... Yeah, so it's their 16th birthday, which they share again. I'm like, ugh. And you, you didn't remember, remember that? that? that no, 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 no. I they, they they did. They did. Sorry, I was thinking about yeah. something else. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but like Aang talked about how, you know, they 
they put the things in front of him, like all the monks mm -hmm. put all the things in front of him, he picked them. Didn't another didn't another of the uh avatars have something similar to that, or am I just completely forgetting? Wasn't it didn't another of the avatar get tested in some way and find out that they were the avatar? I think you're thinking of the last Airbender movie. <laughs> oh, is that what I'm thinking of? Yeah, oh, they did that test with Aang. The same thing differently. Yeah. Yeah, when he's on, when he's captured by Zuko and Iroh, and they put all the, like, the elements in front of him, and they all, like, yeah. <laughs> what? And yeah. I'm thinking of a different... Yes, I am. I'm thinking of Ong. Yes. Right? I'm the clearly. Avatar. I'm the Avatar. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. But the, uh, the test that... <laughs> you're losing your mind um the test that Aang does is only an air noban test for that's an, why i couldn't figure out avatar. where else i had seen it before okay i thought it was an air only an yeah. air nomad thing okay okay yeah no yeah. but it is interesting that he's that he's told that literally just a whole bunch of like clerics all say to him by the way you're the avatar and it's like mm -hmm. and then sozin has to be the one to bow to him which i thought was like a great kind of parallel to what happens later um, it is, but, yes. Uh, and I was going to point that out, how Sozin bows to him when he finds out he's the Avatar, but as their relationship moves on, at first it's a joke of, like, everyone who mm -hmm. watched my presence is supposed to bow to the Fire Lord, but I'll make an exception. Buddy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Later on, when it all falls apart, he's pretty much just like, how dare you talk to your Fire Lord that way? <laughs> Bitter exits. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, no, oh, it's oh, great. sorry. You used the word bitter. Real quick, have to throw this in because I loved it. I like how Roku was talking about training in each of the uh, uh, elements. And when he talks about doing the training for the earthbending, he said it was bitter work. But mm -hmm. I mastered that. I'm like, bitter work, yes! I'm like, yep. <laughs> <laughs> I got that. <laughs> I understood I that, that reference. Jinx. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, no. I was wondering if you were going to catch I that. Um, I love doing this podcast with you. Can I just say that right now? <laughs> Right. I love it too. Um, but uh, in fun fact, just about the that earthbending segment, uh, his teacher, Sud, is actually the original model for Toph. I don't know why that I didn't put that in the fun facts, but yeah, Toph was, I don't know if I mentioned it Bonus when we fun met facts. Toph. Yeah, but she was supposed to originally be a boy and she was going to be older, um, more closer to Zuko's age. And so, yeah, Sud was like basically the design for, for Toph before she was Toph. <laughs> so they just reused it for uh roku's earthbending teacher um so yeah i could say they now took now the know. idea for sud and then they toughened him up it literally <laughs> <laughs> um but uh yeah and i love you know seeing the uh the progression of avatar roku as he's learning all the different elements visiting the different uh locations that we come to know you know the northern water tribe and the air temples and all that fun stuff and then the big payoff, that amazing shot of him using all the elements, you know, typical Avatar state style and the music building up. And it's just so cool to see him as the fully realized Avatar that we've known him as, you know, yeah. in, in spirit form. You, you, but, know, uh, you know, by the way, it, I was reminded of a fun fact in that moment in the episode where in the episode where everybody's in that town fighting Azula in that other episode um you had mentioned you had mentioned in one of the fun facts that you were something to the effect where you were like this is the only time where we see all four of the elements being used together except mm -hmm. for the finale or something you said 
And then yeah. like, so now I'm like, hmm, not quite. <laughs> because in this shot, we do see Roku using all four elements at the same time. I mean, he uses them one at a time, and then we see the manifestations of them <laughs> yeah. all at the same time. So I see where you... Logistics. Yeah, logistics. <laughs> but it, it was really cool to see that. I I got to tell you, that is one of my single favorite shots of the entire series so far, is Roku on Ooh. the island using all four of the things in four directions. It's just... Mm -hmm it's just beautiful it's just so aesthetically pleasing and it's so such a great way to show his journey of becoming the avatar and mm -hmm. it it's it's just great it, it it's 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 so cool like i don't even have anything particularly profound or intelligent to like say and philosophize or or give some deep narrative insight it's just so cool to see what where we've been seeing ango in the series tread upon in a path in a previous life as a different mm -hmm. avatar and how different it is for 16 year old uh roku to be doing it as opposed to 12 year old ang mm -hmm. i yeah. almost just called him ong thanks movie you're in my brain <laughs> thanks, again movie. oh the brain rot um yeah, and the fact that, you know, it takes years to learn each of the bending disciplines. And that's why we see Roku aging as he masters each of the elements. You know, he starts with air and then he goes, I believe, to water and then earth. Um, and so, you know, and as he's he's growing his mustache out, he's getting buffer taller, like he's aging. And that's why it's so incredible how much Aang is able to learn and even master in such a short amount of time, you know, because he is truly a prodigy. So. I was going to say the same thing about Aang, that it's insane that he's able to move through the disciplines and master the elements as quickly. Now, granted, he kind of has a comet being held in the back of his head about it, but like right. you know, a little bit different motivation. Um, but yeah, no, he is he is truly exceptional that way. Um, moving on from the story beat of Roku mastering the elements, we have, you know, his, his coming back and reuniting with his friend and then his his wedding and the proposition from fire lord sozin to mm -hmm. come with me and together we will rule the galaxy basically literally yeah and it's very scary because like this it starts off all well and good like oh you know the fire nation we're so prosperous and you know we're at an unprecedented time of peace and happiness like we should share this with the rest of the world that is so scary because that is the exact wording that i'm sure some dictator in real life has used like we should expand and share that's what imperialism is that is what dictatorships do where they where they truly believe that what they're doing is they're taking over a land and improving the lives of everybody who's there by conquering them and bringing them into from where their civilization is to where the conqueror civilization is that's great and prosperous and and moral and all the things they think they are that they've advanced mm -hmm. yeah it's it's really scary and um you know not to spoil anything for legend of korra we get to that but the final villain in legend of korra in season four is basically sozin but an earthbender and she says the exact same sentiments that he does of like expanding and 
it's literally word for word what he says, like sharing the prosperity with the rest of the world. And it's just like, it's just like real life, how people mirror and history repeats itself. And you're just like, oh my God, this is so scary. Like, no, don't stay in the fire nation. Where you have people, I knew you, I knew you couldn't trust those dirt benders. I knew it. I knew it. Oh yeah. We'll get to that. But uh... see, I called it early. I didn't even know. I know nothing. I know less about legend of Korra than I do about avatar. <laughs> and I, I still called it early. I knew that they, I knew there was something dirty about them to start with. Oh man. Um, you know, it's interesting because if you think back to, um, I think it's the chase. Yeah. When Iroh is talking, or no, sorry, it's, it is better work. Um, when Iroh is telling Zuko about the four nations and how, you know, they're actually all one and the same and like, we have to draw from them and all that. But here with Roku, he's saying, no, the four nations are meant to be that four divided. Like we have our own ways of doing things. And if you do this, it will throw everything out of balance. So it's just kind of interesting the different perspectives on that um and gotta, that's like you gotta imagine like how upsetting that is for sozin too and and i'll tell you you gotta i don't know maybe this is me reading into it a little bit but i feel like sozin i feel like sozin could have been steered from his principal thought of we need to share this with the rest of the world therefore we need to go and conquer it mm-hmm. it's only too bad and I'm going to make a metaphor here. It's only too bad that Roku is born a firebender and that his mm-hmm. natural inclination was to do something that only fed the flames. Right. If I may draw that symbolism. Whereas Aang possibly could have, like wind in the sails of a ship, airbender could have steered as he does with many people in his lifetime steered them a different direction turned them around altered the direction they're going in roku Mm -hmm. just doesn't go that way roku fights fire with fire and the way he responds to it is no and i never want you to talk about this ever again because that calms everything right down right and by the way i'll see you at tea tomorrow (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah, you can't expect it just just go you know, like that to go un you know checked or whatever. Like, yeah, it it was not the best response, and I think that's one of the big regrets that he has. You know, is that the way that he handled Sozin's proposition and everything after that. Um, so yeah, it's it's not good. No, and things <laughs> really good. do wind up spiraling out of control. Where by the time that we get to you know the the big literally explosive finale of the episode with the detonation of both the eruption of both volcanoes on his on his island that ultimately when susan comes to help him somewhere along the way he helps him which by the way real quick detail about susan helping i thought was so cool the heat mm-hmm. redirection like mm-hmm. the lightning redirection that iroh did and yep. he just literally points a finger sucks the heat out of the volcano and just psh, disperses it i'm like my guy sozen i'm sorry i have a little bit of man crush on sozen I'm, i might be understanding where <laughs> roku's coming from he's awesome right he's so yeah it is really cool too <laughs> i think that that's the only time that we see that at least in the avatar um, that we see that kind of heat dispersion, um, yeah. which I, 
I also noticed that, you know, after the millionth viewing that, wait, that's the same stance as, you know, the lightning redirection, which yep. is interesting because that, that's all he's doing is just redirecting the heat from the lava, yep. um, which is very cool. Maybe, maybe grandpa showed something to Iroh a long time ago that Iroh took in maybe. Maybe his own. So, but you know, but my point is that it gets so bad that by the time we reach that point, you know, Sozin at some point helps him and then it almost like it just kind of, it just kind of dawns on him. Like, wait a minute, what am I doing? Why, why am I helping him? Why am I doing this? Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the only, only thing, thing standing, standing in, in the way. way. Yeah. It's no. just, I mean, imagine that. Imagine somebody coming along and helping you. Like you got a flat tire in the middle of the desert and they're just like, start helping you. And out of like, wait a minute, why am I helping you, man? Why? Actually, with you gone, everything in my life goes the way I want. And they just jump back in their car. And they're like, see ya. And just like speed away. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. It is like the ultimate betrayal. Like it's because you give him that hope that, hey, maybe we can actually fight this together. Maybe we can actually get out of this alive. And then just, nope, <laughs> just pull the rug out from under him. It's so so terrible like it is so evil <laughs> but you know but but bringing us then to like what i feel is the true the true dramatic climax of the episode while like everything reaches true fever pitch there with the, the volcano we get that that second one with the revelation to zuko that there is that that familial relation that there was between the two of them at first i had to kind of think about it where it's like he is the ancestor of the father and then roku is the ancestor mm. of the mother and at first i was like are they cousins and i'm like no they're not cousins they're they're related by marriage but like it's multiple generations later so yeah. they're their descendants the two of them their descendants marry and then their child is zuko mm -hmm. and it's uh the fact that he is the descendant of the avatar to make it more plain, the connection there is a riveting. Not only does it lay out for Zuko what Iroh spelled out, that there is good and mm -hmm. evil, it also takes us full circle to what you and I were talking about at the start of this commentary on this episode, which I feel is very fitting to end with what we started with, which is the dyad, the connection between mm -hmm. Aang and Zuko they're just they're connected on so many ways yeah it's much deeper than just he's the hero he's the villain and you know they have they've crossed paths multiple times like no it's like they are literally in a way family and yeah. like their bond is so much deeper than it seems it's a spiritual it's a spiritual connection it will just deepen yeah and you know they're paths are tied at this point like yeah. they and they're about to be on a collision course to where you know things are actually going to start looking up for zuko i'm so excited <laughs> Zuko's gonna, zuko just looks at ang at some point it's going to be like he's going to be like george mcfly from back in the back to the future you are my density <laughs> my density what <laughs> yeah oh i'm sorry i, I mean it. my destiny <laughs> yes um yeah, so I I love that revelation. And again, I'm going to say it about a million times, but this is yet another Kylo Ren parallel that, you know, you've got, here's the son of Han and Prince, yeah, Han and Princess Leia and the ultimate heroes, the good guys, nephew of Luke Skywalker. 
but he's also the grandson of one of the most evil men in the galaxy. Mm. And that duality and the constant struggle between the good and the bad inside of him. It's just like Iroh says, you know, good and bad are always at war within you. It's your nature, your legacy. What happened generations ago can be undone now by you. And it's just like that, that could apply to either Zuko or Kyla. (laughs) Well, and it's so good. And and as one last note of symbolism about that conflict in Zuko, um, fire is an interesting element because, as with the Fire Nation, with fire comes some of the most productive things that exist. You can Mm -hmm. warm a home, you can cook your food, you can do metallurgy and advanced technology light years decades beyond anybody else like we see mm-hmm. in 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 the series but out of control fire is the most destructive thing there is we watch it in real life devastate you know millions of square miles here in the united states up in the in the northwest we see wildfires devastate the land over there every single year Mm -hmm. and fire out of control is the most destructive thing but fire properly applied can be the most productive and advancing thing that there is and can care for people and it's a wonderful duality that exists within zuko that fire is his element because of that it's Mm -hmm. it's great the show hits yeah. amazing marks. Um, this episode for me is definitely a solid 9 out of 10. Nice. Um, for me, as I said, this is one of my like top 20, if not top 10. So I'm going to give this a 9.5 out of 10. Literally, if they just fix the intro with Aang and Roku and bringing him into the story, like it would be a 10 out of 10. It'd be a Lake Lao guy <laughs> level. <laughs> like... But uh, yeah, it's fantastic and so deep, so complex, and just absolutely love it. Season three is bringing the heat. It it, it really is. It's, I'm sorry, I had to. <laughs> but it, uh, of but, you it, did. but it is. It is, and I I continue to say that I had a feeling that season three was going to gear up to be my favorite, and so far I got to tell you, I really think it is. That's all for today. To all of our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode, so feel free to leave a review or comment, follow the podcast, give us a good rating, and all that good stuff. You can find us on Twitter at Millwood and Micah, and please follow our Instagram at Millwood and Micah Podcast. Thanks again, and we'll be back in the next episode.